Go, Drew Wolf! <laughs> okay. Are we live? We're, oh, yeah, we're totally Did you do live. that on the air? Go, True Well? Yeah. You totally did the football cheer? Yeah. Oh, cool. I just <laughs> thought you were going to do it while the music was playing and like as the... No, I turned the mics on and everything. Once they... <laughs> we announce our voice is done. Okay, my turn. So welcome to the True Wealth Radio Show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Littlejohn. With me as... Mostly, pretty much always, yeah. Yeah, pretty much always, right? Pretty much always. <laughs> Katie Shook. <laughs> so the hostess with the mostess and... I try uh, really hard. You know, bring in the... Uh, she brings the brains and I bring the goofy questions. How about that? I was going to say, I bring the real life, right? Like, I feel like the everyday person... David, oh, I, David, I don't get to be an everyday person. David, apparently. David's way smarter than me, so you know I get to dumb it down so that I understand it, and hopefully make it so that you guys can understand it. And... So not accurate. <laughs> uh, you you may play that role on. She's she's chosen that role. Just so everybody's clear, <laughs> but uh, I can assure you there are many times when uh, I get told exactly how it's going to be. So. <laughs> Well, that is more of a personality thing, maybe less of an intelligence thing, but no. So, That's, by the way, if you guys haven't figured out listening to the show, we really enjoy each other's no, company. No, we don't get along at, at all. all. <laughs> so, uh, we are excited to share the True Wealth Show with you today. Of course, money, how you trade your time, True Wealth, the stuff that really matters. And we're going to be talking about some fun stuff. Uh, today, I've got a couple things on the, the list. And I love, so one of them, Katie, we get to surprise you. Oh, I love surprises. Surprises are fun. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, when you should hire a financial advisor. Ooh, that's a good question. That's the surprise one. We get to see how you do on that one. Oh, no. But I've got one that's in your wheelhouse. Everybody, if you listen regularly, you know that we're uh, we're still smart investors with the Dave Ramsey program. But more right. sp- Katie has been a... Well, financial Peace Coordinator. Right. So she's a coordinator. I always say Katie is Varsity Squad with Financial Peace University. Oh, thank you. She may actually, I think that when you call the Ramsey organization and give input, they, they actually listen. listen. Yeah, no, they do. Be- <laughs> well, be- the difference is, is when I call, it's I'm calling because I feel like something can be improved. Sure. And I'm offering solutions, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a difference. Like people can yeah. complain just to complain. Or you can try to offer solutions. Like if, if you feel something is broken in life, then be part of the solution. Don't just be that's, part of the problem. That's right. That's and that's right. a good that's a good across anything, not just yep. so we're gonna Ramsey. put Katie to the test on this one today too, when we talk a little bit about marriage and finance. Ooh. Okay. Good topic. Good topic. A little touchy though, huh? We are and, and I am gonna start out today. So let's say that you are just getting started with this whole investment world. You know, the good news is if you've survived this far on your news resolutions, you have beaten the odds. Oh, by a lot. I mean, I think it's like less than 10% or maybe even less than 5%. Yes. And and we lot. talk about this on the program every year about this time. Stop writing resolutions and start writing goals and do write them down. Don't just say, oh, I want to lose some weight. or That's a lame one. So it's good, some, but it's lame. But right? also tell somebody, try to have a positive accountability partner, partner right but you need to write stuff down so that you can measure it and hold yourself accountable and you need to revisit on a regular basis you can't just write a goal down and then go put it in a drawer and never revisit it you need to regularly look at the goals and there's a reason for this okay okay i can give you probably somewhere in the neighborhood of anywhere between 10 and 40 quadrillion reasons that's a lot of reasons. Right, per second. Okay. That is the processing power of your brain at a subconscious level. 
Whoa. Supercomputer. The human brain running on approximately 20 watts has approximately the most as much horsepower as the world's most powerful supercomputer probably more really because we keep finding that the brain what we thought was its potential is actually we undersold it yet again right, right. so the human brain is amazing and it is pound for pound without question the most energy efficient supercomputing device that we right. can find right it's amazing because you know it takes like a small neighborhood to power up a supercomputer that man made to try to compete with what we all average folks have between our ears True. so True why not harness all of that power right you're only consciously aware of a handful of things the rest of it's happening in the background when you look at those goals regularly you put your subconscious mind to work moving around the chess pieces of your life to help you accommodate and achieve. You may not be aware that you're doing it consciously, but by committing and recommitting to that again and again, what you're doing is encouraging those thoughts from the back of your brain to creep their way forward until they happen. So on goal setting for just a second, there's something that David does and now I do because I think it's very genius, right? So we laminate our goal sheet and we actually stick it on our bathroom mirror. So that yeah, we can it see. floats right. I put my, so mine's no longer on my bathroom mirror. Well, your mirror is a little larger than it used well, to be. Well, <laughs> it's because we didn't have one for a long time. We added a couple weeks. Thank you, Rosebud Glass. Yes. Uh, but it is. Uh, so I have it on my phone, on my your screensaver. Yeah. Or so so I have, of course, you know, I'm not an an Apple guy. It's uh, and this it's we'll really not because I'm anti Apple, right? <laughs> but I have an Android device for other professional reasons, and. It has a live screen, so an always-on screen even when it's in lock mode. There you go. And I put my goals on the lock screen so that I can look at my phone at any time, and if it's not the phone, it's my goals. Every there time I go. pick them up, they're constantly flashing in okay, front of my Okay, I had a point here, though. Okay, so up in the bathroom. Originally, it was up in the bathroom on the bathroom mirror, right? But here's my thing. A lot of times, where do people say they do the most thinking? Shower. Shower, or on, in the bathroom, on the toilet, yeah. right? So like, if you have your goals in the bathroom, like, A, everybody goes to the bathroom, hopefully at least once a day, usually more often. Right. But at least then you're constantly looking at it. It's in a place that has your attention when you're looking in the mirror. And it's something that um, I have found for myself. Every once in a while, I look at the goal and I get kind of an epiphany or something about how to achieve that goal better or something like what the next step is. So having it in a place that you do frequently look at that your eyes don't glaze over, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, I mean, my bathroom mirror is not cluttered. There's not stuff around it. So it's the only thing that I have to really kind of read and focus on. And um, it helps, again, keep me remotivated. So I'm just kind of sharing some of my own personal uh, testimony on that one. But having it in a spot that you do see frequently makes a difference. And tell, be honest with me now. Since you started doing that, what would you say has been the outcome in terms of your, your goal accomplishment and effectiveness? So I would say that, first of all, I don't accomplish every single thing on the list. Which Good. The, Good. But if you do, then either your goals were too easy. Exactly. Right? That was, I would have made that enough. point. So yeah, that's why so, I say good. You want to yeah. strive for them, but they shouldn't be just fall off a log easy. They need so, to be a bit of a stretch. There's some things where I've looked at them and I'm like, man, I've worked at that one. Like on and off, and maybe I didn't give it as much attention as I should have because I didn't accomplish it yet. Mm -hmm. um, some of them, you know, I'm, they're a work in progress. So the nice, the, the good thing for me, so one of my goals last year, right, as funny as it sounds, was to plan a family vacation that doesn't involve visiting family 
And the reason I say that is all of our extended families in Southern California. So most of the time when we go on a family vacation, it's to go visit the other family because we miss them. And I said, you know, my kids really want to go explore the world and kind of go see other places. And so even though, <coughs> oh, I'm so sorry. So even though we haven't gone on that vacation yet, you know, it was only just to plan it. It didn't say go on a family vacation. It was just to plan the family vacation. And depending on the destination you choose and the finances and stuff like that, sometimes it takes a well, while you to make save some for those. accommodations. And, right. You know, I always you look at it. Say a lot of families when you uh, have littles and you're just getting started, and the you know the, the vacations change over time, right? It's uh, hey, when we had a bunch of kids, we used to love going camping, and now that we're empty nesters, we love going on cruises. Right. Okay. <laughs> that that is a real thing. Okay. That really happens. It's just the nature of how your financial situation evolves throughout life. Uh, and let it not ever be said that children are affordable. <laughs> That's no. not how it works. And by the way, taking a family of five on vacation, not exactly yeah, less, affordable Less affordable either. than a family of one. Yeah, so. so sometimes it takes a little planning. Yeah. But it's but it was nice. Um, I started breaking down my goals when I do, and I did find mine the other day too. And it is nice to look back two or three or four years and go, man, that was my goal and I did achieve it or Wow, it's still kind of on the list. Is yeah. this something I need or, to revisit? Or, wow, I abandoned it because it wasn't as important as I thought. Right. Right. So, you know, things right. do change, and it's okay that your goals can change, but it's nice to really commit something so that you can see how things have moved. Right. right. And that's part of the point, too, is that you want to revisit on occasion. So speaking of goals, uh, we haven't done this in a while, and I wanted to bring up for our listeners – you know, financial goals are oftentimes really vague. And so what I want to try to do is offer our listeners a little bit of a like a goal for how much money you should save along the way if you are seeking to, say, fully fund a retirement. That is a great question. Okay. And I think like, that's... like where should you be in the spectrum of things and how do you figure it out? So I, I love these things, and this is stuff. So you, if, if you want to see more of this stuff, you can check out our growing YouTube channel. Ooh. Okay? So the YouTube channel, we're now doing investment school. Right now, there are lots of different places to get investment information and get questions answered online. So I realize that uh, this doesn't make our channel somehow mysterious and magically special. Oh, it totally does. Let's be honest. But what we are <laughs> going to commit to is making sure we get the questions answered in a way that they're really understandable in layman's terms. Okay, right. I don't want to dump a bunch of jargon on you. We are here to educate in this process. So that's what we're going to be talking about at in the investment school video. So we're going to come up with some of these. But one of my a few of my favorites are what we like to call financial hacks or shortcuts. I always feel like, you know, I always laugh at you when you say financial hacks because I think of my kids. Mom, I saw a hack on YouTube and this is what we need to do. And I'm right. like, please well, don't Well, it's do a that. new term to hack used to be like, man, you were terrible at something. Now it's like, hey, this is it's a the clever shortcut or it's, the clever you know, like way. A computer hacker is somebody that finds a way to exploit a oh, system weakness, right? Uh, so what we're, what we're talking about financial hacks or these are financial shortcuts. These are tricks or tips that you could use to give you a ballpark idea. Okay, now, I like so it. So we're not going to bust out the calculator. We're just going to say, hey, where should I be in general? Sounds uh, good. And so we're going to start with if you are already saving and you're under 30, high okay. five. Right. Okay? I'm just going to flat out give you a high five because that is fantastic that you are getting a jump on this thing. And if you continue down that pathway, I will tell you that you are on the pathway to becoming a millionaire. 
if you start investing when you're 18 to 20 years old, and if you could put you know a couple hundred bucks a month away, and and just keep consistently doing that and investing in a generally diversified equities-based investment strategy. The probability that you become a millionaire is very, very high unless you cease to do that or there's something calamitous that we can't see coming. Right. And but it's historically, due to two things. it would have worked. But it's due to two things, time and compound interest. Time and compound interest. Right? Like you give yourself enough time, Right. rabbits so, have more rabbits. So when I reach the age of 30, okay. how much should I have saved in a retirement plan? Isn't it like... 30,000? Isn't so, it like close to that age? It's, it turns out the answer is relative to your income. income. Okay. And what we're going to do is base the income off of the concept of what are you planning to live on in retirement? Okay. okay. So you need to have approximately one time your annual salary need in savings by the time you're 30. Okay. So okay. if you make 40,000 a year, you should try to have 40,000. 40,000 by the time you're 30. And by the time you reach 35, you want to have twice that number. Man, I'm so far behind the power curve. Okay. By the time <laughs> you reach 40, you want three times. Okay. So if your you were income. making 40,000 a year, then you, by the time by you the hit time 40, you're 40, you want 120,000. Okay. Now we're going to take a jump here because it gets a little easier. So it was one time at 30 two times at 35, and three times at 40. It doesn't align with the numbers very well, right? No. But here's the one that aligns pretty nicely. 50. When you're 50, how much should you have? Approximately five times your okay. salary amount. So 50 is five times your income. Okay. Okay. At 60, it should be eight times. Ooh, okay. okay. And at age 67, and why do we choose that? Because if social you are security. still working right now, Social Security would kick in at age 67. You want roughly 10 times your needed salary. So the goal ultimately is 10 times your right. income. Now, these are, again, financial shortcuts. And they're making some assumptions like, hey, I will still have social security and I will reduce my lifestyle expense to typically about 80% of what my actual retirement spending like my current salary is right, right. So, so so if i live on 40 grand a year i'm going to go down to about 32,000 in is it no. no it's eight wait what 80% of yeah so 8 times right 40 5 times 8 so what 4 times 8 is 32 right so okay. 32,000 would be my retirement income because the presumption is that you're no longer paying a mortgage right so you should you should be debt free when you hit retirement and you should have that much in savings and if you were to do that, you should be in pretty solid financial shape. Right. Okay. So that's the benchmark of the day that okay. we're going to stick in our little hat. And we're going to go, all right, got that feather in my cap, but I'm going to remember it. So, and, and the benchmark to keep in mind is when I am 50, I need five times my income. And when I am 67, I need 10 times that. So the okay. goal is to get to 10 times your income. Yeah. Or the other one, here's an easy way to, uh, the, the really sneaky one. Figure out how much money you think you need per month. And then figure out And what then the... multiply that number by 300. Ooh, I like that one. Okay. okay. And if you do that, then that's going to be how much money. And, and, you know, we're not talking about taxes and other stuff, but it's still going to give you a pretty good ballpark. So if you're like, hey, I need $5,000 a month, multiply that by 300, right? And you're going to need roughly $1.5 million to throw off 5000 a month of income. Wow. Now, that number sounds 
alarming. But then if you have other fixed income needs, you say, oh, well, I got Social Security that's going to pay me 2000 Now I really only need 3000 right? So I can make multiply 3000 by 300 So the number drops pretty quickly. So it's that's what you're looking for. So what about if somebody's listening right now and they're saying, well, my income is kind of a moving target, right? Like in my 20s, I was making about 30000 and That's in why my 30s, I didn't say it's not based on your salary. It's based on your retirement income that you're looking for. There you go. Because okay. it is... You right. know, I want 50000 in retirement, then this is kind of what I need to do. And we're also taking some real shortcuts here on things like taxes and inflation. Okay, right. So those are real issues too. But again, these are ballparks if you're trying to do a drive-by benchmark. Anyway, look, we're running long on the first segment, so we better grab our first break here because we got to cram two more in before the end of the hour as well. So stick around. We'll be right back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. got True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Well Show. Dave here. And Katie. You know, I, I realize the breaks are the same amount of time, but they keep feeling shorter and shorter. Oh. And yeah. the time on air feels shorter and shorter. Which we're, means we're just getting older. Things Time's faster. No joke. <laughs> that's how it works. Yeah. Probably the only female that's willing to admit it actual age on air but i'm okay with it <laughs> I, i'm not going to say your actual age on air i've said my actual age on air i'm not like going to say multiple times. you say whatever you want i'm not going to do that i'm not stupid i mean i'm not stupider uh, so okay fair enough uh, so you know we were just talking about some of these financial shortcuts and then uh, i throw out at the end of it this throwaway like oh well of course we didn't talk about inflation and we didn't talk about taxes or anything else like that so which is uh, also a moving target it, which yeah that's gonna move right but here's the trick if you find yourself saying uh yikes i don't even know what to do about that uh i we're, we're gonna help you out here i'm gonna give a pop quiz to katie uh-oh and I want to some of the reasons that you would hire a financial professional or a financial advisor. You might get okay. ones that are not even on your sheet. Yeah. So <laughs> we're going to start with I've got five on the list. We're going to see if Katie can find her way to them. Okay. All right. So what are some of the reasons that you may want to hire a financial advisor? I don't know what I'm doing. Like, yeah. I, I don't even know where to start. Okay. So there's one of the reasons is. I don't get it. And by the way, I'm not meaning like me personally. I'm right, just no, she's playing. answering the question I'm answering for the general population. Right. right. Okay. What just if I don't that. know what to do? What if I don't know what to do? Or I don't know what investments to pick. I don't know where to start. Yep. That's a great reason. Okay. Here's another fun one. You're just terrible with money. Uh, how is that a reason? <laughs> it's actually a reason. If you make poor financial decisions, then on give your it to own, somebody that makes good financial then decisions. Work with somebody that will help protect you from you. Right? That is actually great reason. <laughs> I mean, it's there. There is something to be said for the accountability of working with someone else. Okay, people that hire a trainer tend to have better results than when they don't work with a trainer. Accountability, the right? Whole it's thing. accountability and and the ability for them to sort of customize a training program and so forth. And plus, we have this weird thing where when somebody expects you somewhere. You kind of feel guilty if you don't show. Yeah, you commit to it At a least little bit more. You probably should. Right. Right. I mean, if you honestly will ha take somebody else's time, commit to be there, and then you totally flake on it and you're okay with that, examine yourself because yeah, you half, <laughs> most of the world hates you for that. You have some okay? interpersonal issues. Most of the world's like, that's what you do. You are t a terrible person. No, that person doesn't get invited anywhere anymore. Yeah, you're like, like, we just don't want you because if you flake all the time and you're unreliable, what you're essentially saying is, my time is super important, but yours is not. 
Right. So what kind of message are you sending when you don't? Now, accidents happen. Something comes up. I'm not saying you're a terrible person for having real life happen. What I'm saying is you're a terrible person if you just don't care about somebody else. And that becomes your routine. Right. And, you know, it's whether it's a doctor's appointment or it is uh, meeting with your trainer or you've shown up. To, let's see you schedule a haircut. Then you don't show up. You're like, you know, the barber carved out that time for you. And now they're not getting to put somebody else in the chair to make an income, right? So, right. so they're you, losing. You kind of ripped them off, right? You're, they're losing money. So, so that's the issue. Okay, so if you're if you're not making good financial yeah. decisions, so if you make seek awful decisions, go get help, right? Okay. Um, here's an interesting one. What if you just receive some kind of windfall? Ooh, like an inheritance. Yeah, got an inheritance or something to say. I didn't have this before, and I'm really not sure what to do. So. A lot of it also depends on what you are used to as a lot of money and or how you define a lot of money. So uh, something that's been very interesting as an overlying um, theme is if, you know, if, if you are in, uh, like, let, let's go by the average um, income in Oregon, right? Which is, it was like 56,000 or something. 59, like I think. Okay. So if you're used to making like 60,000 a year and you kind of know what those paychecks look like and all of a sudden you get a check for a hundred grand. Like that's a lot of money, right? To you, because if you've never actually seen a hundred grand in your life, then yeah. And if you're gonna make it rain, hire a pro. <laughs> Seriously, like you don't want to just blow through all they that have a because gun you're for nonsense. That. So uh, <laughs> they, do. They, they do have a money gun. Um, anyways, that's side point. But it's so sometimes if it's something, it doesn't matter if it's twenty five thousand or fifty thousand or a million or ten million. If it's more money than you've ever had in your life at one point, right in cash. It can be very overwhelming, and at some point, it starts to feel fictional, right. and that and that's a very dangerous zone and to be in because can, you don't want to lose touch with that money and what it can do and how it can bless your life, but it can also be a curse. And there can be significant decisions around that too. You know, right, you get a big chunk of money, and all of a sudden, it can change your tax decision making, and it can change, uh, you know, your personal circumstance. So, it may be time to bring in a ringer. Right. Okay. Uh, what and that kind of goes back to step two, somebody to protect you from you, right? Yeah, to make yeah. sure that the money lasts a while, to make sure that you're doing the right things with okay. it. Okay. Here's another one. You are just flat out terrified to do it yourself. And that kind of goes into step three and two yeah. that we just mentioned. Yeah. Like sometimes if you get too much you, money, it freaks you out. Like well, you too don't much know. money, but you may it may just be I don't even know where to get started. I don't. It's not that I don't know what to do. I'm actually scared to screw it up. Is there a D right? all the above? I think some people fit all these categories. It, they can. They yeah. can. Uh, so here's an interesting one. You own a business. Which is why you would seek a financial advisor? Yes. Because, Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah. In many cases, business ownership introduces lots more levers to pull in your financial world. What I mean by that is all of a sudden you have a whole host of other options because the owning a business has... There, there are other moving parts involved now. So you've got potentially payroll, Sorry. business expenses. You have different retirement plan options that you get to choose. I was going to say retirement plans, owner, profit where, sharing. Yeah, where you wouldn't get to choose that as an employee. You're going right. to you're going to get what the employer chooses for you. But if you're the employer, now you've got a different set of choices. Right. And this, by the way, is relevant even if you're a sole operator. I didn't just say sole proprietor. I mean, that's a form of business. But if you're a sole operator, you may have a, an LLC or an S corporation. You may be a single person entity, 
but that still creates a different set of circumstances. Like a realtor. Right. You may want to, again, bring in some kind of professional counsel to help optimize your situation. There's a saying that you, you use frequently, and I love it. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Right. Like how you can't know everything. You don't know what you don't know. And there may be an option out there that's better for you, but you weren't aware of it. Right. And and the other is you sometimes folks just don't think about the situation the same way. Not everyone's a problem solver. Now, I, what I'm about to say, I want to be very clear. This is in no way, shape or form derogatory towards uh, the accounting profession. But, you know, a CPA in many cases, certified public accountant, they're very good at doing accounting. They aren't necessarily ideal choices for optimizing your retirement plan. They may be capable of it, but they may not because what they're doing is, well, we do the accounting. We're, we're not doing planning. We're not looking at creative ways to organize your business. We're just telling you how to be legally compliant and make sure your taxes are done properly and so forth. So. It really depends on the personality of the professional. So that's would, why you oftentimes have financial people that are separate from your accounting people that are separate from your attorneys and legal fee people. right? And so, they don't always see eye to eye. But I was also going to say, too, time horizon is different as well. If you're talking to an accountant or somebody about your taxes for this tax year, the advice may be different than your ultimate goal long term. Right. So you may get two separate pieces of advice depending yeah. on the time horizon that you're discussing with the professional. Right. And rarely, and I genuinely mean this, rarely have I found myself in a spot where I was at odds with another financial professional in terms of recommendation structure wise. Now, other, uh, there are times where I've come up with things that other people didn't look at and then they come back and go, like, oh, yeah, okay. But Rarely is it, well, I think you should do one thing. And I go, well, that's a terrible idea because I'm not saying it's never happened. <laughs> I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that, you know, there's there's usually pretty good agreement, especially if you get everybody in the room to discuss it and, you know, problem solve. But you may want to bring in additional sets of eyes to look at your circumstances because you may discover that there is a creative way to manage things. And when I say creative, I'm not suggesting that it is uh, illegal or there's anything. nothing illegal or shady or would no. cause audits or be questionable Honest. or gray area. No, that's not what I mean. It's just that not everybody uses this, you know, not, not everything's black tools. and white. It's right. not it's not A or B. Sometimes you get the whole alphabet of options. There you go. And by so, the way, sometimes it comes down to preferences, too. Right. Like you may have a preference of a way to do it, but maybe all the op maybe the three options in front of you, each one of them is worth it like right. each one of them is a viable option well, yeah sometimes it's just well what's your favorite yeah and some of it's hey what's your disposition because you know you can go this way and it gives you one set of options you go a different way it gives you a different set what is the more premium set of values yeah. that you're trying to solve for so the the point though is yeah if you're a business owner and you find yourself going huh well there you go uh now here is a, another one that i would say could very well lead you to want to hire a financial professional. Major change in life circumstances or life events. Ooh. So an example, and we're going to we'll unpack this more in in a moment, but marriage. Right? You're going to you get married. Change of financial circumstance may lead to change in the way you make financial decisions. That's a good point. How about a divorce? 
I was just going to say divorce too. Like all of a sudden you yeah. find yourself. Very different circumstance now. And again, the accountability partner, right? Mm-hmm. If nothing else, then your financial advisor is your accountability partner to your money, right? It's the, hey, I had this idea for my money. And if you are single, you may not have that financially sound person in your yeah. life to bounce ideas off of. Well, Katie, how many times have you had to help somebody navigate the process of a quadro? Yeah, right? by the way, if you actually know what quadro stands for, yeah, like qualified domestic relations order, okay? <laughs> right. That's what happens when the courts say, "Okay, you're divorced and the spouse gets part of a retirement plan." Oh and my so you goodness. need to be able to split that part of the retirement plan out and put it in the spouse's name now. So there is a formalized process for how you go about accomplishing that. Right. Okay? And trying to do that on your own can get a little gnarly, especially well, if you don't do them very often because one hopes you're not getting a divorce very often. Right. And, but the other part of that, too, is so out, a couple things outside of your field of expertise. Right. I would say the average person probably doesn't know how to do a quadro. The second thing is if you're really emotional, if it was a really nasty divorce and it's mm-hmm. a very raw thing for you having that third party person be able to come in and say hey let me take that off your shoulders for you and help you right and make it not so like just help protect you kind of you know help it, help, yeah, in a help sense, you out just to, to be that uh partner, logical partnership person right. that can help you through it the other one is you know you may have been in a relationship where you didn't have the same level of responsibility and now all of a sudden you've got all of it you know, the other party in the relationship did most of the work, and now all of a sudden you're on your own. This is also true, maybe not a divorce, but widowed or widower. True. Okay? Yeah, I a mean, loss, like a you, loss you of a spouse. You lose a spouse, and yeah. all of a sudden you've got this fallout that you have to deal with. They're very real things. Yes, they so, are. So those are issues. But you know what I want to spend a little time specifically on? What is that? Marriage. Mowage? <laughs> Did you just become the wascally wabbit? <laughs> no, but it Mowage. was a space balls, right? Mowage. <laughs> so we're going to talk a little bit about some of the idiosyncrasies of managing money in marriage. In marriage. But we got to grab our next break. So stick around and we'll be right back and we will get into marriage and yours, money. mine, and, and ours. <laughs> we'll be right back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. We got True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right, gang. If you were just joining us, it is your lucky day. Uh, you have tuned in to the True Wealth Radio Show. And uh, your host, Dave Little John, here with Katie Shuck. And we're going to talk marriage and money. Marriage and money. You're just in time. If you're not married and you're never going to get married ever, then I guess go have a sandwich or something. Uh, but for the rest of you that have either been or might or know somebody that will be and you want to have an I told you so moment, oh, this is your segment. You know, it's interesting, though. You don't have to be married to have commingled funds because there are many people that are not married that cohabitate and have commingled funds. That is true. And so we're going to talk a little bit about some of the challenges with how to sort out money in marriage. And I will tell you, that some of this, you may get a little experiential insight here. Uh, I am <laughs> currently in my 14th year of marriage. That makes it longer than average, I think, but certainly not long compared to many marriages. Right. My ninth so, is coming up in March next good month. Good stuff. Woot, woot. So as we 
talk about you know some of the lessons that have been learned and also just general practices for finance. Uh, let me first acknowledge the subject here, a little touchy. A little? <laughs> yeah. In fact, I would wager that probably the number one source of strife in relationships is money. The number one reason for divorce is money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was very interesting when I teach Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey says um, that it's not uncommon when you file for bankruptcy for people to tell you to get divorced. And when you get divorced, people tell you to file for bankruptcy. Like it tells you how close, re closely related your relationship is with money. Right. And the fact that they're brothers sitting at the same table is a very scary thing to me. Their brothers, like you mean the fact bankruptcy, that bankruptcy and, divorce. and divorce, like yeah, are... like their brothers sitting at the same table. Yeah. I don't know why I picked on men. Sorry about that, brother and sister. I don't know. Yeah, whatever. whatever. Siblings. Siblings. We'll just call it siblings. There you go. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're a gender neutral state now. <laughs> I don't. I don't even know how to. I, I don't know what to say. Half Going the time back to money like, and marriage. I got nothing. So, okay. So uh, it is a touchy subject. It's a touchy subject, and I can tell you some of the challenges here. First of all. The, the number one thing that I think folks need to be aware of that probably is the number one contributor on this personality is going to be a major player in how this operates for every relationship. And that's why there's no such thing as ironclad generic advice, because no. you're going to discover that how you interact in your relationship with money, as mm -hmm. well as your relationship with your significant other it, it may be different than somebody else's true right and and I have seen relationships where they say oh they have their finances I have mine and you know we and it we make it work uh, okay and I've seen other times where they try to do the same thing and it is a recipe for disaster right so we're going to talk about the things that come into play and how one ought to maybe navigate this process because I don't know that I can offer you a right or wrong I can offer you what I think are pretty sound, uh, particularly if we're going to come at this from a biblical perspective. Okay. Okay. But for a lot of our listeners, that's not your foundational belief structure. And I respect that. Okay. So we're going to talk about this as just advice for anybody. Well, we'll tell okay. you, we'll kind of walk you through and we'll some of the We'll try to tell you where it comes from. So you go, oh, here's where it's applicable versus, you know, here's where it's something different. Okay. And some of the major stressors. So let's the, jump in. The first one is this concept of mine, yours, and ours. Okay. Which seems like that happens quite a bit, right? If you it are does. a, and some of that I believe happens the older you are when you get married. Like if you're on the younger spectrum, let's say 18 to 25, right? You've been handling your own personal finances for a limited amount of time. Right. Basically, versus, you don't have a lot of baggage and habits yet. Right. Versus if you are 45 and have been single for a long time, you've figured out exactly how you want your checkbook to roll. So combining two sets of checkbooks when people have been single a lot longer sometimes, I think, feels a lot more like yours, mine, and then there's a little bit of ours. Exactly. So first, let's go That's through. my personal opinion, by uh, the way. I, I, I see it a lot. So I can tell you anecdotally, I believe you're correct, right? You know, in, in my 19 years of guiding clients with money, I have seen all the things that we're about to talk about, I've seen in one form or another. And so we're going to talk about some of the issues. Okay. And we're going to talk about some of the solves. Okay. Okay. So first, let's talk about some of the issues first. Okay. So we're on the yours, mine, and ours still? Yours, mine, and ours. Okay. And these are issues that come up when dealing with money when you're married. Okay. okay? 
Uh, the first one is debt coming to the marriage. Oh, and that's, I think sometimes it's easier if you feel like the debt load is the same between partners. Yes. And but this, so we're, we're going to come into a separate issue. I'll, I'll name it in a moment, but okay. go ahead. But if, if one person has a lot of debt and the other person is debt free, mm-hmm. you kind of already start at a battle, right? Because most of the time, what I have observed is that the debt free person has worked really hard to not accrue debt. And then they love their now new spouse, but now you're trying to tackle it together. And sometimes there can there can be resentment if it's not talked about because now they're paying off somebody else's debt and right. they didn't feel like they earned it. So why are they paying it? So this goes into what we can call sort of the power struggle, too. Right. This, happen, this happens in another area of, of, the, of marital finance as well, and that is if you have a single earner right. or two earners, but one has significantly more income than the other. Right. And so uh, the, the more significant earner can sometimes feel like they are entitled to more of the decision authority in the relationship. Right. Or it could be that they don't feel that way, but this, the person earning less feels like they should, they deserve less decision authority or they refuse to take on a certain level of accountability in making decisions together, right? So you do those, these are those all are different all variables that can happen. Right. So, so let me first frame everything else we're going to speak about today. Now, many people will say, well, you need to start with good communication. Now, I said it <laughs> obnoxiously for a reason. That yeah. is not a poor statement. It's not wrong that you need excellent communication. You need, you need good communication in marriage, period. But I think there's something more significant than just communication, especially around finances. Okay. And what is that? Oh, you know what it is. I know, but I want you to tell our listeners. (laughs) It's a term that I call expectation management. management. By the way, this works in all aspects of life, with your children, with your coworkers, with anybody else. Okay. Expectation management. So, So when I say expectation management... Well, what do you think I mean, Katie? I'll give you an example. Okay. If you say, honey, I'm going to go shopping today and I'm going to buy a new jacket and you come home with a sofa, I that would say, was not managing expectations. Yeah, that is really outside of what we talked because about, Because my husband expected me to spend 40 to $50 on a jacket and I came home with a $900 sofa. So yeah. different... Pro- and I'm giving yeah. you just... Theoretical numbers. Theoretical, yeah, because because yeah, your jacket may be a couple hundred bucks, or your sofa may be a couple grand. Who knows? But, Who knows? But the point is, the expectation was one number, which was manageable in the mind of the other party. Right. And what came back was, whoa, you did what? Yeah. Like where did that? And yeah, and especially if that other person had some another purpose for that money in mind, right? So now right. that that got taken away from them, or they feel that got taken away from them. Yeah. So that can be a huge one. Uh, but expectation management, to me in general, is just exactly like it sounds. You, you know, you gave a great example, Katie, of an extreme where this can run can happen, but it can happen in little things in life all the time, right? It's the uh, and and well, I'm we, gonna let me give me a second. I'm gonna okay. back up on this a little bit. As a married couple, if you have a budget, right, and you say, hey, you know, we're gonna sit down, we're gonna we're gonna work out the budget together. This is how much money we make together. This is how much we're gonna spend. And by the way, David. I'm going to give you $100 a month out of the budget to go spend on anything you want. And I'm going to take $100 yeah. also. We're the going to make it even. blow it on even. hats budget. 
as I like to tease, right? <laughs> do you really have that many hats at home? I don't even. I don't like. Do you hats. even own a hat? Yeah, I do. What's up with you and the hats then? It's it it's so ridiculous to me that it's like, well, it <laughs> okay. would only be a ridiculous expense if I went and bought hats. So right. it's a hat so budget. David and I have agreed on the budget, and we've said we agree to give each other a hundred dollars a month to spend on whatever we want. So then, if I come home once again this is all hypothetical so then if i come home and i say hey by the way i bought some new shoes today and i used my fun money you would go i go rock on rock on now if you said hey i agreed uh to a hundred dollars and you came home with a brand new pair of christian louboutins at eight hundred dollars a pop that's not managing your expectations well i would say (laughs) have you been did did you save that up in your monthly allowance to make it get there right so, right? so again, managing expectations is something uh, yeah, that's really important. That would have been because if you if you hadn't, then I'd have been like, well, where exactly did that come from? Right. And if you're like, oh, well, I got a tax refund or something. Oh, well, is that that would actually upset me when I I was thinking, shouldn't we have known about that and made decisions together rather than you right. discretionarily going out and blowing through any normal budget we've set? Right. It's you know, so when you find our money and then take it as yours yeah that's a recipe for disaster right. isn't it i'm giving you fun examples today. yes you are so <laughs> i like this i want to talk about let's just real quickly go through some of the things that need to we all need to be aware of in the uh, the big issues that come up so of course the disparity of earnings you know another big one financially that couples often you know you run into and you go oh wait a second what kids Okay. Children are expensive. Oh, they're super expensive. So, like, expensive. deciding whether or not to have children, that's going to have a material effect on your marriage and your finances. I don't think people really fully understand it until the kid's about 10 years old. <laughs> and then also, you know that typically you spend almost $300,000 per kid. It's a pay. <sighs> so much. It's a huge number when you look over the, an 18-year period. You're like, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it really is. And I'm not saying that they're not worth it. I'm just saying it's a legit expense here. Yeah. Uh, Another one, and this is the interest, this is really interesting. In a marriage, guess what we all have when we come to a marriage? What do we have? Baggage. What? Yes. In the form of other family members. Yeah. Some of you have a backpack. Some of you have a luggage rack. Okay. Like there's a different level of of (laughs) U-Haul. Oh, he called it. The issue is that oftentimes, other family members can come to you looking for financial resources. And it happens in weird ways. It can happen around the holidays and gift-giving occasions. It can uh, happen in terms of just somebody really being financially in a bad way. And so they're just looking for help in any way, shape, or form. Right. But those are all friction points in a marriage, especially if it comes from one side consistently and not the other, something like that. How you manage that is going to be important. Right. So how do you manage some of these issues, Katie? Oh my gosh, that's such a big question. I know. I don't know how we'll possibly cram it in in the last segment after this break. <laughs> but we're going to do our best. Stick around and we'll be right back. And we're going to try to give you a very quick but effective blueprint for managing marital finances. We'll be right back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. Got True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240, KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the home stretch of the True Wealth Show. Dave and Katie here, and we're talking marriage up. and finances. Marriage and finances. Marriage and money. And we just laid out a whole case for things that can create. Friction. Challenges and friction. Friction's a good term friction for it. Friction for, for marital finance. And if you haven't caught it, check out the podcast. You can check it out on 541radio.com or go to littlejohnfs.com 
Or now, check out the True Wealth Show on iTunes. iTunes. So we're there. So So, get the podcast and check it out. How do we fix money and marriage? What are some suggestions that you have? So the first rule of marital financial success is to have an agreed upon budget. Yes. Okay. Now, I it does not have to be at the detail level of we will do exactly this penny, although that really does help, especially if money's tight, is have a very well agreed upon plan. But have a budget that you can agree upon for even categorical spending. Say, so, well, we're going to spend about this much and we're we're not going to surprise each other with expenses beyond that. Right. Okay. Uh, one Have an agreed upon limit too. What is too much or too high? Yes. So, you know, is it $500? Is it $1,000? What are you comfortable with your spouse spending without your approval? Right. And so, and that can change with time. And by the way, each spouse has a different idea of what that number is. It is. So, you, you should, need to go to the lower number, not to the higher. together. You know, my wife and I have kind of a general rule that, uh, you know, if it's under $200 and it's within budget, we're authorized to do it, right? If it's more than that, Generally speaking, unless it's something we'd been talking about, and notice how I'm phrasing this because there have been times where it raises an eyebrow even still. Uh, but if it's more than that, then we just confirm with the other person, hey, are we cool doing this? And the other person goes, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. And your relationship's going to be different, whatever right. the number may be. When we first got married, it was basically, if it's more than 10 bucks, you let us know. Right. <laughs> I mean, like it was, it was tight. So that's how we did 10 it. 10 bucks made the difference. Right. You know, it's like, well, $5, that's discretionary. You know, you decide what you're going to get at McDonald's one afternoon. But if it was more than 10 bucks, it's like, well, maybe we should know what the other hand is doing. Yeah. Ours is a few hundred dollars. Yeah. As well. And it, so obviously it has changed with time. But this, you start with a budget, and so whether you have a single joint account or you've got individual accounts, I'm less concerned about that. I prefer the single account that both parties can see. The house account. Yep. So that is the joint account that everything comes out of. I also think from a married filing jointly perspective, it makes the taxes easier. Accountability, right? If, yep. if both of you see what's going on, then there's no secrets and no fights. But here's the well, magic <laughs> that I think fixes a lot of this. As long as it's agreed upon, each of you can have an individual account that you get a set amount that you can have as completely discretionary. Every month. Every month. It's It's an allowance that you give yourself the freedom to spend on whatever you want without asking permission. If let's say it's a hundred bucks a month and you wait a year and you get up to $1,200 in that account and you want to to blow it on that, Go for it. Right. right. But you saved it and you earned it you, and it was it money was you had the right to spend. That you, you know, you delayed gratification, so you, you did earn that. Um, but are I we also really think out of time? we are. Uh. I would say last bit, don't keep it a secret. It's okay to keep it off the record for gifts and stuff, but if the other spouse wants to know, don't play that power play. Just let them see it. So anyway, that's as much time as we got. We'll have to visit this one again, Katie. But until next time, uh, give us a call at the office if you need additional help. 541-375-0898. We got to run. It's been David Littlejohn. I'm Katie Shuck. This has been True Wealth. The preceding program was paid for by Littlejohn Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.